0: My name is Thomas Malchow. I've been in the fitness industry for over 20 years. I've worked with hundreds of Olympic and professional athletes. I can help you become better at golf. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Train Fully podcast, where we dive deep into golf fitness. My name is Thomas Malchow. I am your host. Every episode, we meet with professionals, experts, and amateurs from all over the world, to help you gain an edge in your game to learn more about train fully and our innovative at home program go to trainfully.com use promo code golf 10 for a 10 percent discount in this episode we speak with david betcher dave's a friend of mine i have a ton of respect for him he's a true leader in the fitness industry he's a professor of kinesiology and he's lectured across the world on human movement and performance He's had a wide variety of clientele, ranging from special population to professional athletes. And he currently holds advanced certifications with the Brookbush Institute, the National Academy of Sports Medicine, and the National Personal Training Institute to go along with his master's degree in exercise science. So this is a guy that knows his stuff. And he has the education, the credentials, and the experience to back up what he's saying. And that's really what I want Train Fully to be all about. Evidence-based. Everything we talk about here is backed up in the scientific literature. There's a ton of information out there. It's hard to know who you can trust. Train Fully is a brand that you can trust. So if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you find the podcast helpful, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Now, in this episode Dave and I do a deep dive into what we can do to increase swing speed. We talk about stretching, what is the best cardio for golf, we talk about strength training and what supplements we should take. All right, so joining us today Dave Betcher. Dave, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Well, right now in golf the big thing is everybody's looking for more distance. And There's a lot of different things that go into hitting a golf ball far, but all things being equal, the golfers that have the highest club head speed are going to hit the ball the farthest. So let's start our conversation here with things golfers can do to increase their club head speed. And let's kick it off with flexibility training. I know when I say flexibility training, strength, power, and speed is usually not what comes to mind. But Dave, can you explain how flexibility training can in fact improve all of those things?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I think kind of just to, to start it off and kind of exactly go with what you had said, everybody's worried about distance and simply because distance equals money in the uh, PGA Tour, right? The farthest drive is usually the one that wins the most money, um, which is great, right? That's what, that's, let's let's chase it, right? Um, but flexibility has a tremendous impact on overall performance and power output and, really the ability to maximize distance of a club head speed or anything anything uh, to that nature. And when we start looking at flexibility, it's not just somebody who's got the most flexibility. It's somebody who has optimal flexibility for what they're doing, what they're trying to look for, what they're trying to uh, achieve. So, um, you know, it's not just a matter of doing stretches, just to do them. There's a specific sort of sequence or a specific sort of Um, kind of template that we can follow to help get the best out of somebody, so to speak. Um, So I I think that obviously with with golf um, in particular, it's a very unilateral sport or a very asymmetrical sport, uh, just in the nature of it, right? You either are a righty or a lefty, and that's kind of how you're you're swinging. Um, So Obviously, we're going to need a little bit more control and mobility and flexibility uh, and we're going to have a little bit more on one side compared to the other and that might be okay for the sport, but making sure that we address both sides is actually shown to enhance performance even more. You might not have as much flexibility and mobility on one side compared to the other or even strength on one side compared to the other. Um, I think most notably, when you can compare some of the rotational sports, you look at like tennis and you look at somebody who who, uh, like, I think it was uh, Nadal back when they were filming him. His one arm is way bigger than the other arm. That's that's okay. That's what the sport requires. So uh, you may find that in golfers as well, more developed one side compared to the other. But maintaining that mobility and flexibility is immensely important to not only maximize performance, but also longevity in that sport. And I think that's really key there too.
0: Yeah. And that's something that when you're talking about, when you and I, we work with with professional athletes and we don't just stretch for the sake of stretching, right? You can't stretch your way to improve performance. It's very targeted. And so we only want to stretch muscles that need to be stretched. And really that comes back to posture, right? And so if, if we are working with somebody, what we're doing is we're doing different assessments to determine or identify which muscles um, need to be stretched, which muscles are too short. And can you maybe talk a little bit about how postural dysfunction not only reduces mobility, but it can actually increase the risk for injury and make us you know, less athletic as well?
1: Yeah, certainly. So the, you said it right off the bat, the assessment side is immensely important. right? We have all kinds of different assessments that we can use, and, and whatever your, your scope of practice is and what your profession um, you know, dictates, is, is you have a lot of tools that you can use. Um, but ideally, what we're going to look for is, are there any restrictions in range of motion to what's referred to as kind of optimal or ideal range? And if you have a restriction in a certain muscle, that muscle has an, a, a reduced force output and reduced power output, if there's a restriction in that range of motion that that muscle may have. And that's with our assessments as professionals, we have to look at somebody and say, okay, here are the boxes that we're gonna check. Is it something coming from the upper body? Is it something coming from the lumbo-pelvic hip complex? Is it something coming from the ankle? Because all of those segments can really impact overall performance. And actually, a restriction in one of those segments, um, specifically an asymmetrical restriction in one of those segments, is a greater predictor of injury. So we got to make sure everything's kind of moving the way it should and it's supposed to. The uh, types of mobility stuff and flexibility stuff that we use can range from some soft tissue work like foam rolling or if you use the, the uh, percussion devices like the hyperbolt, things like that. Um, that has a certain effect on muscle tissue. We can also do some joint mobilizations um, and some stretches. And those are all things that can be done uh, both with working with somebody, but also things that you can do on your own. Right? And I think that's really important too. That's another key that a lot of people miss is you can do things on your own that are going to impact your recovery, your uh, performance, your um, asymmetries or dysfunctions that you may have. There are some quick little things that you can maybe take a, uh, a simple thing, golf ball, have it in your golf bag already. You can use that as a soft tissue release tool. Um, you can kind of get creative with ways to to use that, um, you know, foam rollers are pretty cheap and easy and, and uh, easy to find, so those would be great to have at the house and um, all things that you can kind of do on on, uh, on your own as well, right? I think it's really good to collaborate with somebody, like you know, a professional, um, like yourself or uh, like me or any uh, anybody out there that's a professional coach or or trainer or therapist. Get an idea of what needs to be addressed, and then. You're addressing it while they're working with you, but also some, home, some homework, right? Some home exercise stuff that you can do as well. And like I said, the other big thing improves recovery, right? It's that, that feeling of less soreness, that less stiffness that uh, I'm able to come out off of a, you know, 18 holes on Monday and I could play 18 on Tuesday if I needed to, right? So, um, or if I wanted to. So I think that's really important in there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know some people right now are listening. Okay, well, that, that's great. But maybe I don't have the, the ability to uh, get an assessment to determine or identify where my problem areas are. But fortunately, the body tends to adopt a predictable set of compensation patterns. And because of that, there are three main partial dysfunctions described in the scientific literature we have upper body dysfunction, we have lumbo-pelvic hip complex dysfunction, and we have lower extremity dysfunction. And so we could uh, create a corrective strategy that addresses those three postural dysfunctions. that would go a long way in helping the majority of the people, uh, even people that don't necessarily think that they have those postural dysfunctions, you probably do to a varying degree. And that's kind of really the unique thing about train fully is it addresses the imbalances that most people tend to get. Now, staying on the topic here of stretching, what's your this is something you and I have talked about before. What's your opinion of stretching before sport?
1: It's an interesting topic, right? So um, if you're taking a muscle that is identified to be short and then you stretch it prior to competition or activity or whatever, you're you're good. As long as you do something to address the other side as well. So I'll give you a great example. Um, one of the muscles that tends uh, tends to be kind of uh, short and, and tight or overactive is uh, in the lower in the lower extremity is the calf, right? Um, just from being in you know on your feet in shoes, whatever. Um, so the calf gets overactive. So if we do a stretch of the calf. I want to make sure that I activate a muscle opposite the calf, my tibialis muscle, my little shin bone muscle, um, to kind of address some of those changes that we've just made. One thing I don't want to do is I don't want to just go and say, hey, you know what, I feel tight, so like I'm going to stretch my hamstrings, and then go out and play. You're probably going to have a reduced performance, an increased risk of injury, and some problems there, because that muscle tends not to be tight or not to be in a shortened position that you need to stretch it. So like you said, there are some predictable patterns that your body essentially adopts. And using that information, you can really start to hone in on the stretches that are going to be useful for you and the things that you can just kind of discard, um, you know, for the most part.
0: Yeah. And that I'm glad you brought up the hamstrings because that's something that comes up all the time because most people feel that their hamstrings are tight and and stretching them does give them a relief or at least it feels like to them that they're getting a relief, but in almost every postural dysfunction, the hamstrings aren't short. They're actually long. And the, and the tightness that people feel is, is neurological. It's not mechanical. And that's kind of like, you can't stretch your way out of dysfunction. Right. You have to be very targeted. And, you know, Dave and I don't have the luxury of just stretching or doing things for the for the sake of filling up time. It has to be very targeted. Again, the unique thing about the Train Fully program is it takes that specificity and allows you to do it at home by yourself. Just follow along. Um, Let's move on to cardiorespiratory training, because this is another question I get a lot uh, as well. Cardiorespiratory training might not seem as important for golf as it is in other sports, but the average golfer walks between four and five miles per round and endurance can certainly play a role in performance, especially trying to make that putt on the 17th or 18th hole. Again, you and I, we have to be very targeted with how we don't just make athletes tired for the sake of making them tired, right? We target specific energy systems. Now, This is gonna, I'm gonna ask you here, I'm gonna put you on the spot and see if you can simplify energy systems. What are energy systems and how do they relate to golf?
1: Sure, so uh, essentially energy systems are nothing more than your body's mechanisms to allow your muscles to contract, to essentially produce energy. So um, you you have a couple different energy systems that you can use to make that energy and utilize that energy. Now, when it comes to golf, golf is actually a very interesting sport. It is primarily while you're participating in the sport, primarily, um, more of a like explosive, quick, need quick, fast amounts of energy all at once. Think about that swing, right? There's that explosive swing and then you get time to recover right? As you go and, you know, search for the ball. I mean, for me, it's like 45 minutes of searching where the ball went in, you know, in the woods somewhere. Um, but that makes it a unique sport in, in a sense that, yeah, you know what? You have the cardiovascular component to it that the improved cardiovascular system will help you throughout your entire golf game. So like you said, get to that 17th, 18th hole. You still have the capacity to produce those large amounts of force required to you know do the drive right or um, to finish that hole or finish that that uh, course that you need so when it comes to energy systems it's essentially a way for you to make energy throughout and you need to be well versed in pretty much all of those energy systems which makes sense when it comes to the training standpoint of how or why things should be kind of programmed in a periodized manner where you go from like step one into uh, another training program. It's just a little bit tougher and into another training program. It's a little tougher still. uh, And you can change the rest times and you can change the the, uh, amount of sets that you're doing and you can change the amount of repetitions that you're doing. You want to get your body prepared for all to be well prepared for all of those energy systems that you're going to be using. So I know that's something that you do already is you have this periodized program for all of your individuals to work with. And that's super important to, uh, to maximize again, performance and longevity and recoverability and things like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I wouldn't say it's a pet peeve because, uh, I enjoy these workouts as well, but I see a lot on, on social media, especially, And people golfers doing these high intensity workouts that are really, although they're fun and they're challenging and they can make, they're still healthy. They're not doing a lot specifically for the golf game because they're not targeting the energy system that's specific to golf, the creatine phosphate system, like you're saying for the powerful swing or the aerobic system for the walking. And so. Although those high-intensity workouts are fun, and I wouldn't discourage people from doing them if, they, if you enjoy them, they're not really doing a whole lot for your golf game. All right? Let's yeah, that's,
1: yeah. That, that's super important. And actually, anybody can do anything to make themselves tired, right? But when it comes to performance side of things, there, are, there is a specific kind of like um, recipe that's going to maximize those outcomes. And, and that recipe includes exercises right there's certain exercises that are going to be more beneficial to improve an outcome like performance in golf compared to just an exercise that's gonna run you through the you know run you through the mill and make you super tired right um, so I think that becomes very important as well seeking out professionals to say okay what are the appropriate exercises that's that's going to help me take my game to the next level
0: right? absolutely and people only have so much time so if you're really trying to you know, make your workouts more efficient. If you're really trying to exploit every corner of your biology, specifically for golf, then you're going to want to spend your time on the energy systems on the areas of your biology or physiology. that are going to help you play better. And with that, let's move on to the strength training. Cause this is a huge topic right now. And it's something that, um, I mean, again, you are somebody that I go to, uh, to ask questions of you're incredibly bright. Um, you and I, again, when we work with an athlete in any sport, we have to determine what the, the requirements of that sport are, right? And then we have to take a look and what can we do to uh, cause an adaptive change in the athlete that helps them become better at that sport? And when we're talking about strength training, what we're targeting are muscle fiber types. Can you talk a little bit about the role of muscle and the different fiber types and how that relates to golf.
1: Sure. So the muscle fiber, we have a couple types of muscle fibers. We have um, kind of more the endurance-based muscle fibers, which are referred to as your type one muscle fibers. Um, They're more your postural muscles. So they kind of keep you upright and they resist or reduce uh, the effects of fatigue. And they have more of a kind of slower or lower force output, right? The other muscle fiber types are these type twos. And when we start talking about golf, we're we're looking more so at these like type two X or type two B muscle fibers that are really important for the power production, right? They get that, that muscle or they get that limb moving in a kind of explosive manner. So those muscle fiber types have different sort of responses when it comes to exercise. So when you do something uh, in a slow, controlled tempo, you're probably not targeting those explosive muscle-type fibers. So when it comes to uh, performance, sport performance, we want to make sure that the exercises that you do within your training routine are going to match those those, uh, muscle fiber types that you need to call on in your sport. So... Uh, Incorporating some some strength uh, exercises or some strength movements are super important because that's going to train those muscle fibers to produce force, but also taking somebody through um, some reactive or explosive movements within their workout is going to call on those muscles to be explosive or fire explosively in nature. That way, when they get back out to the, the course, they can call on those muscles again, and they have that in there. Strength training is, in, is a well-rounded strength training program is incredibly important for just overall performance as a whole. You need a little bit of the endurance muscle fibers, you need a little bit of the, the strength muscle fibers, and you also need a little bit of those power muscle fibers as well. So making sure you're hitting all of those types within your training regimen is really, really important. It, it, it kind of builds like a a suit of armor for you, right? Incorporating or having all of those muscle tissue types trained and ready to go gives you this like suit of armor to help you carry you through your uh, through your your day, right? Or your your match, right? So whatever it is,
0: absolutely, it's like well, you used the word earlier, and it's a word that I use all the times. that increases your capacity, right? You have the ability to to do more work. Um, I have a lot of people like I would say every week I have people reach out to me who have been doing strength training for sometimes a number of years and they're they're incredibly strong and when I assess them because they're say they're suffering with injuries or they've had a decrease in their performance and they don't know why they've been working out and they, they just can't understand what's going on but when I assess them we can find some compensations and and more often than not and people that have been working out for a long time usually on their own we find synergistic dominance right can you maybe explain what synergistic dominance is and how it hurts performance and increase the risk for injury
1: yeah sure so we can kind of go back to your posture um statement of earlier right so posture plays a huge role in in performance well if you have something that's if you have a muscle that's usually responsible for the movement right uh, and that muscle, for whatever reason—poor posture, dysfunction, whatever previous injury—if that muscle shuts down, there's going to be some other muscles that take over, or that try to take over the job of that shut down muscle. And that's where this synergistic dominance comes into play. Right? We get these little muscles trying to do the job of a bigger, stronger muscle. It's like if we were, you know, playing tug of war with, uh, you know, my team versus another team. And I'm the biggest, strongest guy on the team, so I'm going to be doing most of the work. But if all of a sudden I decide to just, like, take a break, let go, my entire team is going to be, oh, we're going to be, they're going to be trying to pull, take up the slack of me that just decided to let go. And that's going to create a, almost guaranteed, create a losing scenario there. If the strongest guy on your tug-of-war team decides to take a break, you're more than likely going to lose. So the same thing kind of happens in the body. If your, let's say, glutes, for instance, which are the biggest, strongest muscles in the body, decide to shut down or decrease their capacity, you're going to have other muscles try and take over the job. And now your swing's not going to look as great. Your power output's going to be decreased. Your uh, endurance capacity is going to be decreased. Because think about it, if you got a whole bunch of little guys trying to pull, they're going to get fatigued a lot faster than if you had the bigger, stronger guy on the team pulling. So that becomes a really important piece of the assessment side of things and say, okay, now that I know this muscle's essentially taken a break, let me go in and start to try and wake them up, right? And I wake them up through various forms of what uh, we call it corrective exercise or various, various forms of isolated activations for that sleeping, napping, you know, muscle that decided to, to kind of shut down. Um, and it, again, correlates with that postural dysfunction that you talked about and just overall posture as a, as a whole. We can start to identify what are the common muscles that become underactive or become, you know, take that day off. And glutes are a big one. Your core is a big one. Your rotator cuff is a big one, right? They all tend to shut down. And those end up being the main muscles that stabilize the spine, stabilize the shoulder, and allow you to generate a lot of that force through a swing or really anything, but golf specific through a swing. Um, and if they're napping, if they're not working, your game's going to to suffer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that's a big one. The glutes are, you know, they're referred to as the king of the golf swing, but because like most of us are spending the vast majority of our day sitting, especially now with with COVID and everybody's working at home. And when we're in that posture so often, this is when those imbalances start to creep in. We get the muscles in in front of our hips start to become shorter. The muscles behind our hips, the hip extensors, the glutes, they become longer. And we lose force production for hip extension, which is a pretty important joint action for being a human being, right? Being able to extend your hips. And so the nervous system will adapt and it will start to recruit the synergistic muscles, the hamstrings, the posterior fibers of adductor Magnus, the erector spinae to pick up the slack. And it's kind of like a, it, it helps you get through your, your daily activities, but really it's, it's increasing wear and tear on your joints. It's um, decreasing your performance. And like a lot of people have a hard time understanding this, but I've worked with professional hockey players, for example, they they can squat or deadlift hundreds of pounds, but they have underactive active loops. and it's really hard for people to to understand that and that corrective strategy of, of being able to go through identify which muscles need to be sort of ramped down a little bit need to be inhibited and, and using a foam roller or lacrosse ball whatever you have to do that is really the secret sauce to improving your movement and improving your your performance. What. Um, yeah, Let's move on to here to plyometrics because this is something that is maybe not appropriate for everybody, although we can modify the exercises, but I know it's a huge thing and I see it on Instagram and I see again done incorrectly quite often, maybe explain plyometrics, how to implement them.
1: Sure. So, so plyometrics is nothing more than producing maximal amount of force in the shortest amount of time. Right? Pretty much it, that's essentially power and plyometrics in a nutshell. What sort of activity exercise movement produces maximal force in the shortest amount of time possible? Things like jumps um, are done in the gym, throws, uh, med ball slams, things like that. But we have to make sure that we have a, that we're, when we do those exercises, we create a really, really short transition time between the the loading and unloading of that movement. So for uh, I'll use the example of a golf swing, right? Because that can still kind of be power and plyometric in nature. So when you wind up, as you come back into that swing, you're loading some of those tissues up, almost like a rubber band, you're stretching that rubber band and you're storing energy. Well, if I go up and I decide I just want to hang out there for a while and stop there and think about what I'm doing and, you know, run through all the steps in my head that I'm making sure I'm, you know, making, I actually end up losing power and force output out of that, right? Because that muscle tissue, it's not just like a rubber band. There's also some plasticity that happens to it. So as I stretch it, that muscle tissue can kind of uh, of conform to that. So I lose that quick elasticity or that quick recoil that you would have in like a spring or a rubber band. So as I wind up, I want to make sure that transition time is almost non-existent as I go from my loading to unloading position. Um, When we see it in the gym, like uh, box jumps, for instance, when I go and try and jump up, the first motion that I do is I go down, right? I'm loading those tissues. And then if I pause for any period of time, I lose that force output. So I got to come down and then go right back up, just like in that golf swing, I come I wind up and then go right back into that swing. So that's kind of the one of the more important components of power and plyometric uh, power production. Plyometrics is having that short transition time between loading and unloading. The implementation of plyometrics and and, uh, people may be like, "Well, I'm not going to do box jumps. That's silly. Uh, You know, I don't feel comfortable jumping on a box." And well, we can play around with this a little bit and have a couple different types of power production. We can do maximal power like that super high box jump or taking something and throwing it as far as we can. But we can also do power stability, which I think is more applicable to a lot of the, the clientele that you know that you probably work with and the older population and anywhere in between. With power stability, we end up looking at an explosive movement like a little hop or a step or a um, kind of a, a little bit of a toss. But we control that deceleration, right? So you do a hop. You just do a hop forward. When you hop forward, you stick the landing, control that, that deceleration and make sure you maintain all those kinetic checkpoints, right? Just like in golf, When you wind, when you go into your your swing and then you come through, you have to make sure you can decelerate just like you can accelerate. That deceleration component is really, really important for not only just the the follow-through in general, but also for making sure that your the appropriate muscles are slowing you down. Because Again, I'm sure people have people that are listening to this have, have experienced when you go into a swing and then you get that little tweak in your back, like, oh, what just happened? That's because a wrong muscle tried to kick in to decelerate you from that explosive movement. So by incorporating some of those like power stability components into a workout can really help get that deceleration, that control under wraps and, and again, increase that longevity, prevent injury. Uh, it's actually been shown that the older population doing more of those power stability exercises has significantly reduced some of the muscle wasting that you see in older populations, some of that sarcopenia that sets in. So we want to maintain as much muscle mass as we can as we get older. So uh, incorporating some power stuff with the older population has been shown to to do that, preserve some of that explosive muscle fiber types.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know that when people hear of powertrain or hear plyometrics, they kind of, you know, it sounds like maybe that's a little bit too much for me. I don't know if my knees can handle it and all that, but I spend, even with, with professional athletes, I spend the vast majority of the time with, with the power exercises in that corner, that reactive activation type phase that you're talking about where we're Decelerating and 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 or decelerating our body weight against the force of gravity and stabilizing, so we can do these really simple. I wouldn't say they're simple, like technique wise. Certainly, keeping your balance is challenging, but you can simply do them in your living room. You just need maybe five feet of space, and you're really just trying to hop from one leg to the other, stabilize the landing. Um, let's talk a little bit about supplements because this is a question that I get asked a lot. And I know that you have information on this. Is are there supplements that you would recommend the average person take?
1: The supplement side of things becomes a a very interesting topic, right? So everybody's looking for that like that little bit extra. I would say that if you have a sound program, a strength conditioning program, right? on top of a sound nutrition eating program or plan, or you're you're eating well and and correctly, then maybe supplements could take that game to the next level. Um, There's a few that I would recommend. Uh, So creatine would be actually a a great supplement for explosive athletes, golf being one of them, right? it helps with that energy production, those energy systems that we talked about earlier. Uh, it'll help with recovery, so that's a great thing. There's a side effect to creatine, and that's an increase in in, uh, water weight, essentially, to those muscles, because that's that's how creatine kind of functions in the body. So if you're looking, if you're really concerned about body weight, then creatine probably wouldn't be a great supplement to choose, because it's going to naturally just increase your water weight. Um, As soon as you get off creatine, that water weight disappears, but if somebody's very mindful or conscious of their weight, it would be a, a supplement that we wouldn't use. Um, you can certainly uh, play around with some of the protein powders that are out there, although if you don't have a sound nutrition plan in the first place, your protein powder, it's not really going to be very effective. Um, for most of the people that I work with and most of the recommendations that I say is no supplements necessary until you have a very sound a strength condition program, a nutrition plan or program or something that you adhere to, you know, on a regular basis, and sleep. That's the other big one. If you don't have any of those, do those first. They're like the main ingredients of the cake. And then supplements would be the, I don't know, the, the, the sprinkles on top, right? So... Um, so, like I said, creatine would be one. Caffeine would also be one because the because golf is, it does have a cardiovascular component to it. Caffeine has been shown to improve um, uh, cardiovascular performance, just like a cup of coffee, not like crazy powders and things like that. Um, you know, I wouldn't recommend any of those pre-workouts prior to going to the golf you to be shaking <laughs> in, the, in the golf cart or walking, walking around. Um, but yeah, those would be pretty much the only two creatine and caffeine for supplementation side of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. That would probably be it. There's really not much that's shown to be incredibly effective outside of those two for sport performance.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, people ask me all the time and um, I, I, recommend the caffeine and and the the creatine. And creatine um, works for some people. Speaking of golfers specifically, um, some people and not others, some people are prone to uh, muscle cramping, which can kind of hurt performance. But for those that don't get the cramping, they do notice. And it's been scientifically proven to improve performance. Uh, Dave, I want to thank you so much for coming on, man. If people, because are you in the Houston area?
1: I am in the Houston area, yep.
0: Can people reach out to you and work with you one on one?
1: Absolutely, I, I have uh, no issues with that. They can send me an email or, um, you know, whatever whatever the best uh, method of communication is for them. Uh, I'm happy to collaborate and, and talk to people and, and whatever they need, I'm, I'm happy to provide. So yeah.
0: How can they How can they find you?
1: Uh, I think the best the best contact info um, is Dave at brookbushinstitute.com. Um, that's, that's another, uh, company I work with is Brookbush Institute. We're very perf- performance and corrective exercise and, um, just kind of education driven. Um, but yeah, Dave at Brookbush, B-R-O-O-K-B-U-S-H, uh, institute.com. Uh, and, and, uh, I'm happy to kind of work with, with, uh, with you guys and answer some questions and even just to collaborate and say, Hey, I'm, I'm doing this. Is this right? Am I on the right track? I'm, I'm happy to to do that. And obviously, you know, anything that you need, you know, where to find me too.
0: Yeah, I, I reach out to you all the time, man. You're yeah. incredibly bright. You're a great guy. Uh, if, if what we talked about today, if you're interested in that, if this sounds like this could be helpful to you, you can head over to trainfully.com, pick up the trainfully golf fitness program. If you enter the promo code golf 10, you'll get a 10% discount. Dave, man. Thanks again.
1: Oh, you're awesome. Tony. You're, you're great. Keep doing great things.
0: Thanks buddy. All right, I'll see you. All right.